Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. I'm excited. I'm excited. God's put a word on my heart. And I believe there's going to be an impartation of the Holy Spirit today because I'm going to be talking about something everybody faces. There's not one person from the youngest to the eldest that doesn't face what I'm about to teach on this morning. Today I want to talk about, here it is, one word, roadblocks. Have you ever encountered a roadblock in the natural? Have you ever encountered a roadblock at work? Have you ever encountered a roadblock in your own spiritual life, in your health? Roadblocks, what are they? They're unexpected interruptions. Circumstances that come in many forms that disrupt our lives, but they also challenge our faith. And to better understand these roadblocks, I want to focus on the 66th book of the Bible. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Again, as we look and examine this topic, roadblocks. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word, for its penetrating and transforming power that will be evident in everyone who hears these words. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stepping in the un- into the unknown, it can be challenging, don't you think? Some of you who have had to make decisions over the years, and especially when it's a new direction, not knowing what's waiting for you. It can become intimidating at times. Because life, really, when you think of it, it's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. Scripture teaches that. And so as we're making this journey, as we're making this pilgrimage called life, Sometimes we don't know what the road ahead holds for us. And that's why it's imperative to understand when you're facing the unknown, when you run into a roadblock that disrupts your direction, your life. Sometimes these roadblocks can be great, wonderful. At other times they can be challenging, create fear, intimidation. So how do we handle the roadblocks? When I think about roadblocks, sometimes hearing the voice of God, I'm just going to draw a a comparison here. Trusting His voice, His direction at times can be like trusting your GPS when you're on a journey. What do I mean? For my birthday, Cindy had gotten tickets for a Baltimore Orioles baseball game down in Baltimore, my hometown, born and raised there. And so we had planned our day, and finally when we left the day of the game, it was a 7.05 game. We left in the afternoon, timing everything perfect. I'm very much a strategist when it comes to timelines, so I wanted to make sure we were there in ample time. I wanted to 
get down to our seats, which were right in the front. We had great seats. Don't covet, just say, Lord, bless me too. And we were right on the front row, and so I wanted to be able to see the players as they're warming up, as they're stretching, and, and just enjoy the whole time. I hadn't been to a game in a few years, especially, actually many years since prior to COVID. And so we were excited. Well, we're making the journey, and then an unexpected interruption came up. It was called gridlock. And we were on the Blue Route, 476. If any of you have ever driven that road, you know that that road needs deliverance when it comes to traffic. So there we were, literally backed up for whatever reason, for nearly 30 minutes. And now I'm seeing my interaction and enjoying going to Boog's Barbecue Pit for his famous barbecue sandwiches, Boog Pow, Hall of Famer, first baseman, formerly with the Baltimore Orioles, and just all that goes into play with the whole experience at a Major League Baseball game. You know, America's pastime favorite. You know, I saw all of that going up in smoke. I wasn't going to be able to have anything. And I'm starting to get anxious. Then all of a sudden, a voice spoke. It was my GPS. And my GPS said this, save 10 minutes by taking this exit. Well, the exit was just about 150 feet up in front of me. And the gridlock went beyond that. And I said, Cindy, when we get to that exit, we're gone. We took the exit. We saved not 10, but about 15 minutes. All of the traffic lights it just began to work in our favor. Then we're back on in the alternate route, and, and we're driving. But I'm still behind because, remember, I lost nearly a half an hour on my timeline. Then all of a sudden, that voice spoke again. GPS said, Take this route and save 15 minutes. Well, I had already saved 15. I was 30 down. Now I'm only 15 down. Then GPS prophesies, right? Save 15 minutes. I took the route. We did. At the end of everything all said and done, we made it to our destination safely, ahead of the schedule I had anticipated, and we were able to enjoy, uh, enjoy a wonderful evening together celebrating my 67th birthday and our 43rd anniversary as husband and wife. It was a great time. It was a great time. But at the same time, I began to feel the frustration until when one door, one route, one direction, one way of traveling to our destination shut down. But as that door closed, another opened. And then instead of becoming frustrated because it was an unknown route, I didn't know that detour that I was being taken on. I just had to trust the voice of the GPS that it would get me to where I needed to be. And it did. And do you know the same thing is true when God takes and redirects our steps? Because that's really what roadblocks are about, being redirected, stepping into something different, something new. And so when it's unknown to us, I mean, it can begin to take and, and cause us trepidation, cause us intimidation. But I have found, honestly, when, when direction changes, and you know God's got your back. Look at the person next to you and say, God's got your back. Come on, say it like you believe it. Come on, God's got your back. There you go. You convinced me that time. Then instead of becoming resistant, don't fight it, embrace it. Embrace this direction. Trust that in the end, God has you. 
And he desires the best for you. And no one loves you more than he loves you. You see, I have found faith is not an act of chance. Have you ever heard people say, take a chance with Jesus? We don't have to take a chance with him. He's an absolute. And faith is not an act of chance, but rather an act of obedience. In order to enjoy the benefits of what faith can bring to us, faith in God's promises, faith in His faithfulness, and, and what, what He is desiring to give to us, when we release our faith in who He is, it will always work in our best interest. Which is why it's important to trust God when you're facing what? Change. When your steps are redirected, that's change. And when there's change, it's the unknown. That's why you've got to understand when it comes to God opening a new door, before you step through any open door, a new open door will always be preceded by a closed door. You can't get to the new place if you haven't left the old place. Is this making sense to anyone? Are, are you with me? Now, I, I, maybe none of you have ever had to face change. But I know I've had in my life. I, I had different issues that challenge what I believe God has called me to do, whether it be financial challenges, health challenges. You know, when we lost a daughter in 2007, that was a challenge. It was the unknown. It, it, it really came against us to try and crush not only Cindy and I, but our family. But God was faithful. God was faithful. He knew what the future held. And instead of becoming angry, we chose to trust the Lord and release faith. The prophet Elijah, we've been talking about him quite a bit over the past several weeks. But he experienced change. He experienced when one door closed. His comfort zone, where he had been, he liked it there. By a brook at Cherith. I mean, he had fresh water. He had room service. Ravens would bring him meat and bread in the morning and meat and bread in the evening. He liked where he was. It was comfortable. And he was taken there because when he had prophesied because of the sin of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, their idolatry, their abandonment of the things of God and, and the abomination of putting up idols and leading Israel and destroying away from God and destroying the altar of God there in the land of Israel, their disobedience brought judgment on the land. And so God commanded Elijah, you're to go and to speak to the king and the queen. And you tell them there will not be rain until you say so by your mouth as I command you. So Elijah was obedient. He gave the command. Well, the response of the king and the queen wasn't so favorable. They wanted him dead. So that's why the Lord took him from where he was following Mount Carmel to a place where he was hidden with the ravens, hidden by the brook, and God provided for his needs. Let's take a moment to look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 5 through 7. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the, in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. So now the Bible doesn't really say how long Elijah was at the brook Cherith. But after an extended period of time, and finally because of climate conditions, all that was happening, you know, with the lack of rain, 
Obviously, if there's no irrigation, there's no rain, then the brook is going to lose its flow. And that's when it was time for a new direction for Elijah. And that's when the Holy Spirit says, came to Elijah, spoke to him, and he said, go from here. And the Lord led him to the home of a widow with a son. Now, when he came to that place, he said, feed me. The widow said, I only have enough oil, I only have enough meal, which was flour, just for one more cake. We're going to eat that and then die. So you know, they were in dire straits. Yet God took this prophet, not to the wealthiest person in the city, with an abundance reserve, but to the poorest in the city, with only enough left for one meal, they would eat it, then eventually die. But she honored the request of the prophet. And from that point forward, Scripture says, her jar of oil and her container of meal never ran dry until the rains returned. Now let me ask you this. What would have happened if Elijah had resisted the closed door of the dried up brook? So Lord, I like it here. Nobody bothers me here. I'm safe here. This is my comfort zone. I don't want to go to this new place. What would have happened had Elijah disobeyed the command of God? Not only he would have eventually died, but so would have the woman, the widow, and her son. But because he obeyed, even though he didn't know what that new direction held, one door had closed. I'm sure it was very uncomfortable But he trusted God if one door closed. Listen to me. This is an absolute. If a door closes, it didn't happen without God knowing it happened. And because God always knows in advance, that's why he always prepares the next open door as a provision. It's imperative to understand that because if not, people will get mad at God. They'll get angry. They'll become name callers. They'll feel like God didn't come through. He abandoned me. That's not the case. A roadblock, a closed door is not your problem. It's just saying that there's a new opportunity, a new avenue, a new blessing, a new passageway that God has prepared, and it's imperative that you walk through it because it not only has to do with your life, but it also has to do with the lives of others who will be impacted in a positive way because you obeyed and were willing to step into that next door once God reveals it. That's important to understand because if not, you'll be intimidated into disobedience. And that's why it's important to trust God. Faith is not an act of chance. It's an act of obedience. And when you're beginning to trust God and make the step of faith, That means facing change. Facing change. People don't want to face change. Again, when an open door, you know, is there, it's always preceded by a closed door. And Elijah understood that. This roadblock that he was facing, just like any of us, was not a lack of God's attention and a lack of God's care. But it was really answered prayer. How can a roadblock, how can a closed door be answered prayer? Because there's more people involved with every roadblock and every open door than just us. There is always a rippling effect. There is always that aspect of when we touch someone, 
It touches someone else and it goes beyond. Like a set of dominoes or like striking a match and then a fire just extends beyond that. There is always that rippling effect. And that's why it's imperative not to look at change as your opposition, as your enemy, but look at it as your opportunity, as answer prayer. And that's why with every roadblock comes a challenge. You see, Satan doesn't want us to walk through that next open door. So he'll bring every imagination, every deterrent emotionally and intellectually to try and convince us that what we're doing isn't good. Don't go that way. He will always take and challenge God's direction with misdirection. He did this with Eve in the Garden of Eden. God had commanded both Adam and Eve not to eat of that one tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree wasn't sinful but it belonged to God. And to take what belonged to God was a sin. In fact, scholars bring out that the tree of knowledge in the center of the garden was actually God's tithe. That belonged to Him. That was His first fruits. And just as if we steal the tithe from God and we don't honor the Lord with our tithes and offerings, our first fruits, then that can bring, just as eating the forbidden fruit as Adam and Eve did, It brought death to them. Touching what belongs to God, even financially, can affect in a negative way our finance. And so here Satan tries to change the narrative. And look at what he says to Eve in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now that's not what God said. But that's what the enemy wanted Eve to believe so he could deceive her into disobedience. Eve was faced with a challenge to either believe God's Word or the serpent's distortion of God's Word. And that's where we will find ourselves at times in different seasons of life when it comes to making a decision. What is God saying? And sometimes you may not hear that audible voice. Sometimes it may may not be so black and white. And that's when we need God to speak to us through circumstances at times. And that's why even when you read this portion of Scripture in the book of Revelation, many times the way God speaks is through opening and closing doors. Whatever door opens when you know God is directing and you've asked for His help, then by faith, even though it's unknown to you, it's known to God, and you take that step. You take that step. Look at Jesus when he was in the wilderness. Remember, he had just been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. And following that, Scripture says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, why would God take and ordain temptation? But what God was doing was authenticating Jesus This was a proving ground. This was going to make a spiritual statement, not only to the kingdom of darkness, not only to the kingdom of heaven, but even Jesus. Yes, he was God incarnate, but he was also an earthen vessel, just like you and I. He was without sin, but that didn't mean the enemy could not come against him. And when you look at all three of the temptations that happened, during that time in the wilderness, all of them 
challenged what God the Father had said. The first temptation says, if you are the Son of God. Now, right there you see the first challenge because Satan is trying to instill doubt. If you are the Son of God. It wasn't a question of if. He is and was and will always be the Son of God. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. But Satan, again, trying to distort the Word in a very cunning way by instilling doubt. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. The second temptation, again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Then finally, the third temptation, Satan reveals his true motive when he challenges Jesus to fall down and to worship me, Satan says, and I will give you the kingdoms of this world and their glory. Now, there was a degree of truth in that, but Satan always distorts the truth. Because whatever had been allocated and delegated to Adam and Eve, dominion and authority, when they disobeyed God in the garden, that was surrendered temporarily over to the enemy. But God's very clear in His Scripture when He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to Him. Now, there was a degree of what God had delegated to Adam that became compromised, so there was a portion of truth Just like you see people who sell their souls to the devil for financial gain, for wealth. I have found there are many people who have been blessed financially who are such a blessing to the kingdom of heaven and to others who are less fortunate around them. But then you'll also see where those who do not know the Lord, they use their extreme wealth for evil purposes to try and dominate and promote an agenda that is dishonoring to God Almighty and harmful to others. You see, actually, at times, the agenda of Satan that comes through individuals who use that money as power and that power to control, and they don't even realize the one controlling them is the prince of darkness. And so when you take and you look at all of these kingdoms, it still belonged to the Lord. But Satan thought, possibly, if there was an area of greed, an area of self-interest of any sort, In the heart and mind of Jesus, I could capture him like I've done to others throughout that point in time of history up until then. But he failed because our Lord can't be bought. Aren't you glad for that? He can't be bought. Hallelujah. He buys. He buys, but he can't be bought. He purchased. He bought our salvation. Amen. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He hung on that cross, and and he allowed his blood to pour out and life to leave his body so that we could become the righteousness of God. We could be redeemed and not only be forgiven of our sin, but set free from it. I like that. I don't want to live as a victim. I don't want to exist with sin until I go to heaven. I want to live a life that knows it's free from every entanglement, every bondage, every ploy, every scheme, every strategy the devil can bring against us, whether against our minds, our bodies, or, or our families, whatever it may be, I live with that mindset just as Jesus did as he walked this earth for 33 and one half years that we were born to reign in Christ Jesus. He is our Savior, and all because he couldn't be bought. Praise the Lord for that. Praise God. You'll find, in order to really walk in this kind of obedience, you need to understand 
that it's imperative to trust. Trust, I actually have said it many times, is bigger than faith. Faith is based on knowledge. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. So as we study the Word of God, and then we apply those principles to our daily lives, and we see those principles, they work, we're gaining knowledge from the written Word and knowledge from our experience. But trust is not based on knowledge. It's based on relationship. When you trust someone, even though you don't know whether or not it's going to work, because they said it, you'll do it. Why? Because you have a history with that person you're trusting. And if they've promised, they're with you. If they've promised, I'll be there for you. Even though you don't know how or when, you know they will make good on their promise. Why? Because you trust them. My children, my grandchildren, my wife, my family, they know they can trust their husband, their father, their grandfather. Why? Because I love them more than my own life. And because of that, I, with all that is within me, will make good on my promises. How much more, our Heavenly Father? How much more? I can't always come through, but my heart is to come through. But God never misses a mark. He's always on time. It may not be early. Sometimes we want the Lord to arrive early. Could you bring that healing uh, maybe a week prior than what you're really counting on, Lord? Right? Father, could I have that raise, that promotion at work a year in advance? You know, it's not always on our timeline. And that's why it's important to understand. Do you know that time was created? Time was created by who? The Creator. Who's the Creator? God Almighty. But God Himself was never created. Scripture's clear. He's eternal. No beginning, no end. But time has a starting point. It was created. You'll find it in the book of Genesis. The six days of creation. When He created time. There's an account of it right there in the Word of God. Which began to measure the seasons and the days. But God Himself, He steps into time when He wants to and needs to, and steps out of it. That's why when it comes to our lives, He's before anything happens, He's there in the midst of the happenings, and He's beyond it, He already knows, and that's why when it says in Scripture that the steps of the righteous are ordered to the Lord, those that follow and love the Lord and obey His commands and seek to fulfill His will, do what's right in His eyes. He will prepare the way in advance for you. And we know that's true because the one who made the promise is true. He never dishonors his word. Satan distorts the word of God because he knows if we, God's creation, believe the word of God and act on that promise and apply it to our lives and our, and our values and, and our morality, then we're going to prosper. God's going to come through on our behalf. Yeah, there'll be challenges. That's just called life. But in the end, when it's all said and done, we will see God's faithfulness time and time and time again in our lives and in our circumstances. And Satan doesn't desire that. He wants to destroy anything that reminds him of God. He doesn't want to see the plans and the purposes of God come to pass. And you're all a part, and those of you worshiping online are all a part of those future plans and purposes. So he's going to try and lead all of us in any other direction other than what God has for our lives. And if we're going to step through into that open door 
And stop trying to recapture the closed door. Try and reopen it. How can I make this thing work? Sometimes if a relationship you have has come to an end, let go of it. Because if you let go of it, you may find the next relationship is better and beyond anything you could ever think or imagine. I've seen individuals over my many years of ministry who were stuck in a relationship. And then when they just said, I don't believe this is right for me, and they've stopped, how God then had supplied someone that they would spend the rest of their lives with, serving the Lord, raising a family. Sometimes you need to leave, when the door closes, leave it alone. Just say, thank you, Lord. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. Lord. Say, thank you, Lord. Don't argue. Don't try and figure it out. Just say, Lord, it's closed. I'm ready for the next door. Lead me. Guide me. Direct me. But that's why it's imperative to understand Satan, in order to keep us from stepping into that next door when change comes, he will try to destroy your courage. I say, I can't do it. There's many people more qualified than me. Your next door isn't about how qualified or unqualified you are. It's about the God who opens the door. And that open door is all part of God continuing a good work in you. I have found every time I've obeyed the Lord, He's made me a better man, a better pastor. But I've had to go from one place to another place to experience that. And it takes courage. I remember when I first was going to take a position as a lead pastor. I had been serving for five years as an assistant pastor over worship and over student ministries. And God made it very clear it was time for me to pastor. I was deathly afraid. I was. I remember I was, went into a Christian bookstore, and I was looking for a book on pastoring. It's before you had Google. Now Google brings the books to you. Back then, you had to go to the books. And I went into this bookstore, and when I went around one of the corners looking for the different leadership categories, all of a sudden, I burst into tears. Pastor Craig, you big boys don't cry. Well, I guess I'm not a big boy then. I burst into tears because I was intimidated. I'll be honest, I was fearful. I had never walked this before. I didn't know anything about how to pastor. I had been an assistant pastor. The pastor I was serving under was not a very good mentor. So I was starting greener than green. And all of a sudden, I burst into tears. And I got on my knees right at the corner of that bookstore. No one was there. I wouldn't have cared if they were. But I got on my knees because I know from whence cometh my help. And I wanted help. And I just said, Lord, help. And you know what God spoke to me? I didn't hear an audible voice, but he dropped this thought as clear as a bell into my heart and mind. He said, Craig, I will teach you. I will mentor you in the areas you need to be mentored on how to be the pastor I desire. And you know what? The Lord did that. He really has. Yes, with all of my academic achievement, all of that, there's nothing like just when you get down in the trenches, grassroots, and, 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 you know, you just get dirty with the people, you know, helping them grow in their faith. The School of Hard Knocks. How many of you have ever been to the School of Hard Knocks? Some of you may even feel like you have a Ph.D. from the School of Hard Knocks. But life can be challenging, but I learned God kept His Word. And so that's why when the Lord has spoken to me over the years, many ventures, 
I know when I hear God's voice. I just do. Because you learn to recognize him. The more you spend time and the more you say yes, you learn to hear his voice even that much more clearly. You also learn how to surround yourself with those that can confirm the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's always important that two or three confirm that indeed God is directing godly confirmation. So God is faithful. But I got to tell you, before I started that last church, which has given birth to this, and, and we planted in my previous church many four other locations, churches around the U.S., you know, none of that would have happened if I allowed fear and refused to embrace courage to step into the unknown. It was like starting over. Any of you feel like you're starting over at times? You know, I should be beyond this. You know, uh, uh, what am I, still in grade school? Well, hey, if we didn't learn it right the first time. Let me tell you a story. You know when I learned English? when I studied Greek in my biblical training. I was awful in English because I never really learned it. You know, I was messing, I was messing around in high school, right? Like many, many people. And, and then when I was in college and I was studying biblical languages, that's when I earned, learned the English language. And now, who would have ever thought I'd be a public speaker and also own a publishing company that produces books using the English language? language. It's amazing what God can do. Amen? All because I said yes to being a preacher. God sharpened my skills. It's like he took me back into grade school when I was learning different principles in my bachelor's training. So, hey, if there's an area where we can, wouldn't you like the Lord to point it out so you can become stronger, more efficient? I know I would. Courage will empower you to step through the open door. So that's why when a new door opens and old door closes, Ask God for courage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were looking at an, at an open door, one that most of us, even them, wouldn't want to walk through. It was called the doorway into a fiery furnace. But everything else had closed, and all they were looking at was death from the natural. The only option, if they wanted to remain, was to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. But they refused to do it. And look at the narrative found in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. They respond to Nebuchadnezzar who threatens them with that fiery furnace. And this is what they say. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, that really shows where their heart is. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That took courage. And that wasn't courage in and of themselves. But when they resolved at any cost to obey the Lord, God gave them what they needed to walk through the next door. And walking through that next door, their obedience is what activated the miracle. Nebuchadnezzar looks once Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the furnace. And he says to one of his aides, he says, didn't we throw three men in the furnace? I see four. And one looks like the Son of God. Had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not obeyed the Lord, this miracle would have never happened. But in order to obey, they needed courage. I don't know what you're facing. If a door's closed and, and you don't know what to do, you're wringing your hands and the enemy is just having a heyday with your thoughts and emotions, then you just need to say, Lord, enough. 
I trust you're bigger than me. You're bigger than this. It's not about my reputation. It's about you. And you always get it right. Lord, I trust you. Now give me courage. Open the door of your choice. Lord, I'm facing a roadblock. Can't go any further. I need your Holy Spirit, my spiritual GPS to speak so I can find your direction. And then that's when you release that courage and you trust. And I guarantee in God's time and in His fashion and way, He will open the next door. Praise the Lord. And all because you chose to trust. And that trust is what strengthens courage. David says this in Psalm 37, 25. I've been young, but now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. David is talking about, writing about, his relationship with the Lord. I mean, at this point in time of David's life, he and God had a lot of history. He had a lot to think back on. How God was faithful with the lion, the bear, the giant. When he was running from Saul for his life. David knew of God's faithfulness. And David was a man, as I spoke about last week, he had cracks, he had flaws, he had imperfections. But in spite of David, because David was willing to learn, David was willing to do what God said. God worked with him. And he'll do the same for us. How many of you are teachable? How many of you are willing to learn? Just wave me down. Come on, just say, I'm willing to learn, Pastor. Then if that's your heart, God will teach. And God will lead you and guide you in the way that you should go. That's just who he is. You see, David learned, no matter what, to trust God. So when one door shuts for any of us, when one door shuts, what do you do? Trust. And when another door opens and you're faced with a decision to walk through, what do you do? Trust. God is directing your steps. He is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. Not in you, not in the promises of people. Trust in the Lord. Everybody say, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways. Not some of them, all of your ways. Acknowledge Him and He shall, He will. Actually, when the word shall is used, that is actually used in legal jargon. And it becomes legal binding. It becomes contractual. So when that word shall is intentionally used there, God is saying, I am legally binding myself to honor this promise. He shall direct your paths. Unanswered prayer. Do you know unanswered prayer is really answered prayer? What do you mean? Let me give you an example. Have any of you prayed early on in life for God to do something? It didn't happen. And now years later when you look back, you say to yourself, God, I am so glad you didn't answer that prayer. Oh, thank God at times for unanswered prayers that are prayed from our point of limitation, our point of humanity, seeing only a portion but not the entirety. Unanswered prayer is really answered prayer. Roadblocks are not your enemy. You've you got to understand that. So if you feel like someone misrepresented you, God has still got your back. He had it with Joseph. Joseph was misrepresented. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was lied about by Potiphar's wife. He hit roadblock after roadblock. And then God promoted him from a prison to the palace. Every closed door, every roadblock, 
And then the open doors that were only available seemed to go from bad to even worse. But he trusted. And at the end, promotion comes from the Lord. God honored his promises. That's why I always tell people, and this is something the Lord has brought to my heart, don't view roadblocks as opposition, but rather as God-appointed opportunities. Be excited about that next open door. Be excited about that next opportunity. Every good and perfect gift, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of changing. God only gives good things. So when bad things happen, it's not God. Satan tries to roadblock. But God uses the devil like a pawn on the chessboard to set up God's checkmate on behalf of our lives and for our benefit. Amen? I believe that with all my heart because it's in the Word. Trust the Lord with your future. Why? Because He's already there waiting for you. He's there. He's already gone there. With Israel, we have guides and and people who are, are, are giving you know, counsel in advance, especially for those who have never been into this kind of a Holy Land tour. We've already been prepped as what the customs are, appropriate dress, etc. So that when we get there, we trust the counsel we received, and we can benefit most from what God wants to do during our time there. And God is already in your future. He's already been there for you. So as you seek His counsel, His direction... He will advise you accordingly and even open the doors that fit that future. He is designed for your life. So there's no reason to fear the closed door nor a new open door. Just trust and know that God has your back. Allow the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, allow the Holy Spirit to become your spiritual GPS. And that's when you can then say, thank God for roadblocks. I didn't hear an amen on that. Thank God for roadblocks. If it's not good for you, you don't want it. God knows what's beyond that roadblock had you stayed any longer. He's protecting you. He knows what will happen if you remain there. Thank God for those roadblocks. Thank God for the open door. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. I almost started dancing. Thank God for His faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Refuse to fear. Embrace faith. Ask the Lord to reveal your next step. Lay aside your expectations so you can hear His voice close, cl clearly. Then when the next door opens, go through it. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.